Hey, this is Pastor Mark. You do not want to miss this week's podcast. You're going to laugh till you cry, but it's good tears. They're good tears. So, man, tune in, listen to this podcast. It's going to inspire you, encourage you, and, and prayerfully help bring change that you desire in your life. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Good morning. Welcome all of you watching online. And I just want I just want to thank all of you for filling the front row. It was scary for a moment. I looked to my left and I thought, I, I don't preach mean. I don't spit a lot. Uh, I appreciate you trusting me this morning, all right? Well, let's stand to our feet and hold your Bibles, your iPhones, your iPads, or just cup your hand and fake it. Say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what the Bible says I can do. Today I'll be taught the Word of God, and I boldly confess my mind is alert, my heart is receptive, and I'll never be the same again. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Um, we finished a series last week on community and, and talking about the importance of community. But how many of you know that community is a result of of a common united theme or purpose or thought and uh, the only thing that prohibits community from really operating is the people inside that community not a list of rules or bylaws or constitutions but community is created by people and the old saying that a chain is only as strong as its weak weakest link applies to that that principle or, or to community so the idea of community is that we, we all realize that we need to be strengthened together. We need to do our best to, to be strong. And so often the reason that we're not strong is because all of us have been hurt. And uh, oftentimes the focus is not on getting over the hurt or overcoming the pain of our past, but the focus is on the pain of the hurt. And that we have to realize that we can all overcome the issues in our lives, at least to some degree. If we continue to talk about all the wrong that's been done to us, we talk about our past, and we talk about the pain that somebody caused us, then our focus will remain on that pain. But if we focus on getting better, and we ask the questions, what does it take to get better? What do I need to do <clears throat> to make things better? then we can start seeing progress. We have to talk about and look ahead at things that make things possible, and you only get out of life what you put into life. In other words, if you invest in life, you invest in community, you invest in others, then you're going to reap from that investment. Uh, so we have to realize that we are who we are, and we will become who we become, not because of somebody else, but because of our choice. Now, someone else might have an impact or influence or wisdom or knowledge that they've given us to help us become that. But at the end of life, you will have to look in the mirror and say, I am who I am today because I chose to be this person. I'm old enough now and I've heard enough stories that I've heard people blame their mom and dad for who they're not and maybe their first grade teacher or the school system they went, went to for who they're not. But the reality is... You are who you are or you are not who you want to be only because you didn't make the investment while you were in that situation. And so today I want to encourage you, address the past. I talked about this last week. 
the a hateful heart uh, is the offspring of a hurtful past. Thank you, Brian. You can get me a Red Bull, too, maybe, if you want to go around another one. I let Crosby have mine. We're just family here just for a moment, okay? Can we do that? So anyway, um, we are, uh, our hearts are contaminated uh, by, wow. If I was preaching on you have not because you asked not, this would be a great illustration today. And so people who have a hateful heart were not born hateful. They just live a hurtful life. And so oftentimes when we, we hurt, it, it produces hate. And the reason we have a hateful heart is because we've not addressed a hurtful past and we've not utilized the helpful promises of God. In other words, those who are in Christ Jesus are no longer condemned. That you have been made free and whoever the Son sets free is free indeed. So that if we begin to apply the promises of God to our lives, it will change the way we think in our hearts and it will address the hurts of our past. All of us can go back to the time that we, we have been hurt. I had an uncle that I had a very difficult time liking because when I was two years old, I mean, if I ask you today, this is, let me back up, you know, what's your first memory? My first memory was not a good memory. It was a hurtful memory. My little brother was being born March 9th, uh, 1959. I'm just doing that so I can remind myself I don't have dementia. Anyway, so and uh, so anyway, I remember my mother, I, who I was the second-born child, and all of us second-born, we have a free pass to heaven because all you are is a middle child. You're not really special. You're not the first. You're not the last. So I pronounce upon us today, free ride. All right, no, I'm just kidding. So anyway, so my mother goes to the hospital, leaves me with my uncle who spanked me because I wanted my mama and I was crying. Now, that was a hurtful moment, and I never really got close to that uncle. But then I had to forgive him. I had to remember he was doing the best he could. Are you feeling me here? Because every one of us has one of those stories. And if we don't address that story, the outcome in our lives won't look the way we want it to look. The impact that we were called to make in this world will not be a full impact. We have to be dedicated to becoming better. We have to be dedicated to becoming better. Now, I get really excited when I see young people get this principle. And, and this summer, how many of you know high school football has become like college football used to be 30 years ago where you live, eat, breathe, sleep, and the whole thing. So I watched Ashton, Susan's oldest son, get up every morning at 6.15. And today he's got some of his friends here from Piedmont High School. Guys, I want you to stand up. I want to applaud you for your dedication. Because, you know, you're going to be a, These guys getting up. You can sit down now. I don't like you that much. I love you. No, these are great guys. They... They, uh, they set, uh, they get up, they set their alarm, get up at six, go to the, they're at the ch seven o'clock, they're at football, they're dedicated to becoming better. You don't get better by just wishing you got better. You get better because you take hard steps and you discipline yourself to get better. That's why you're in church today. You got up and said, we're going to church today and we're going to get better. And our hope as a staff is that the worship provides a presence that causes you to open your heart to God's word. And then when the word of God is spoken, it soaks into your soul. And all of a sudden you get knowledge that you didn't have. And now I can do things I couldn't do because I have information I didn't have. That's what this is all about. So today, rather than just talking about being a part of a community and, and being a, 
uh, having a good attitude, we're going to talk about what it takes to make that community really thrive. So we're talking today about this series for three weeks is get in the game. It's appropriate. We've got football season coming up, high school, college, professional. Get in the game. How many of you know that all you and I see as spectators is just a, just very surface as compared to what's going on on the field? The guys in the game know why they do what they do. And then we have the Monday morning quarterback that, that tells them why they should have done what they should have done, and he doesn't have enough information to even make that statement. So we have a lot of people in church that look at the church from the outside or come into the church, and they have no idea what it takes to do what we do. So that's how come we invite you into the locker room of church, if you will, and say, we want to bring you in, and we want to show you what it takes for a church community to really become strong and really make a difference in the community and in the world. Because you can look and say, well, you know, if you're a musician, you may come in and say, well, they, they missed, a, they missed a, you know, a note there or they missed a, a line there. Whatever you might think, oh, I get it. And, and you become kind of critical only because you're aware, but you don't know what it takes every week to make this happen. You don't know what it takes every week just to put this thing on. And that's not a... A criticism is just simple, simply to say once you step into somebody else's shoes and you walk for a moment where they walk, you begin to understand who they are. And, and that will take away a lot of the criticism and the judgment that we possess because we're fallen human beings. And so what we have to do is become very positive in order to become very proactive. And that's how come we're talking about getting in the game. Without shame, all of you came in today and there was a card and an ink pen in your chair. Was there not? And some of you are going, I didn't realize it. Well, there may be ink on your booty <laughs> because you sat on an ink pen. And I did say booty in church. So, hey. Uh, but, but these cards are servant leader cards. And they're set, they, we set them there for the purpose of saying, look, we realize that a lot of times you're in a hurry to get out. You've got lunch plans. You've got to go home. You've got to go back to bed, whatever it might be. And uh, you need to get out of here. So today we put these here without shame. And all month long, our goal, I'll tell you ahead of time, is to invite you into the locker room of church and we want to show you all that happens inside here so that you can say, I think I could be a contributing member of what's going on. It's very, very important for you to understand and all of us to understand that there's only one person who is great, truly great, and that's God himself or the Godhead, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Now, none of us may ever become great, but as Mother Teresa said, we can all do great things. And so the goal here is not for us to achieve personal greatness. The goal here is for us to do great things that make a great difference in other people's lives. Because at the end of all of our lives, everything that was accomplished for good, God will get the glory for. That he somehow used fallen, fractured, cracked, broken humanity to make a difference in a world that is in desperate need of hearing something good and hearing something positive. How many of you know most people are negative by nature? And let me tell you why. Because of the original sin that happened in the Garden of Eden. That everything began to turn negative. Adam and Eve were removed from the garden. And from that point on, it would take a, it would take a very intentional individual to see what things can be now that we've made a choice we wish we hadn't made. We can all turn something bad into something good. We have the promise of God that he works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. 
But we have to know that word and we have to know that truth to do what we're called to do. And there are always slip-ups. You know, we're starting small groups and, and there were uh, one church had on their sign, uh, it, it said, you know, small group uh, 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 for people with low self-esteem, low self-esteem uh, support group, uh, please enter at the back of the building. How many of you know that doesn't help them? First Presbyterian had a sign up, said, Wait Watchers begins Thursday night at 7. Enter through the large double doors at the side of the facility. <laughs> How many of you know those are things that get in your mind and you have to turn them around? And so we, uh, we want to invite you in and those, we want to ask you, I want to ask you right now while I'm preaching, just take a minute, fill it out and say, you know, I have an interest. I'm not committing to anything, but I have an interest. And then we're going to feed you on August 26th right after this service and we're paying for everything and we're going to feed you and we're just going to talk a little bit more about our culture now i want you to turn your bibles to second samuel chapter 22 or you can just follow along i believe it'll be on the screen second samuel chapter 22 now second samuel 22 begins as uh, as a song of david samuel's writing about it talking about david and it says he david is writing this or telling it telling this story because he had been rescued from his enemies and from Saul himself. So David is basically having a moment as he always did if you read the Psalms. And it says, God made my life. This is out of the Message Bible. God made my life complete when I placed all the pieces before him. So David begins in verse 1 with a, a song of, of saying everything that had happened. And then he gets to verse 21 or at that point just that place in the letter where he says, God made my life complete. When I placed all the pieces before him. How many pieces are you holding back from God? How many hurts? How many pains? How much anger? In other words, God, I'll give you some of me, but I'm not going to give you all of me. God, you can have a part of who I am, but you can't have all of who I am. And it's not until we bring everything to God and say, God, these are all the issues of my life. And can I tell you something? God's never mad at you. You can bring God your most hateful, hurtful thought, and you can say it however you want to say it, and God is not angry. You know, most of the time, our prayer life consists of telling God what we want Him to hear without realizing He already knows what we're not going to say. And so you might as well say it because He already knows it anyway. You're thinking it as a man thinks in his heart, so is He. So there have been times I've had some pretty decent conversations with God, and I've said some things that most people would not say in prayer, but God likes it because it's already in my heart. Are you sure you're not the 930 crowd? Because <laughs> y'all have plenty of sleep and there ought to be just a little bit more activity than what's happening right up in here right now. Okay. Get the picture. I mean, give me a fake amen every now and then or something. I don't know. That's better. I think you woke up. Red Bulls for everybody. Sorry. So when I cleaned up my act, he gave me a fresh start. Indeed, and when David said I cleaned up my act, when I decided to take everything in uh, in the dustpan and I poured it to feet of Jesus. I didn't clean myself. I cleaned up in order to give him the brokenness. He gave me a fresh start. Indeed, I've kept alert to God's ways. I haven't taken God for granted. Every day I review the ways he works. I try not to miss a trick. I feel put back together and I'm watching my step. God rewrote the text of my life when I opened the book of my heart to his eyes. The reason we do the Bible confession is I want us to open our hearts to God. And I want everyone in here to realize that there is a future and there's a hope for you. And some of you came in here broken today and you've been trying to 
to fake it and you've been trying to, to assemble your own life back together instead of saying, I'm bringing it all to Jesus. There's no way I can be perfect. There's no way I can perform perfectly. There's nothing about my life that is going to uh, help me be fulfilled outside of him. And so I have to bring all of it to him. So this is the Mosaic passage, 2 Samuel twenty two twenty one is what we write on our website. And, and the reason for that is, is because we all want to be whole. We do. And most of us are looking for somebody else to find the piece or the missing pieces to our lives to make us better. If you're waiting on somebody else to make your life better, you will die waiting. It's not because somebody doesn't want you to be better or to help you get your life together. But you and I have to assemble it with God's help. In order to get it back. So if you're waiting on somebody's apology. Say well you know when they apologize to me. Everything's going to be well. No it won't. Because there will be somebody else that hurts you. And you'll be waiting on their apology. And somebody else and some, so on and so forth. The reality is that you and I have to make decisions that help make us whole. You know I didn't grow up very wealthy at all. I didn't grow up. As a matter of fact we, we were poor. Middle class. Lower middle class. And I would have had every excuse to say, this is the way I'm going to live the rest of my life because it's just how our family lives. There's nothing wrong with that. And my dad did and his family, and I, I'm okay with that. But in my heart, I knew that God wanted me to touch nations. I knew that I was to travel the world. Even when I didn't know God, at, at 20 years old, laying on a construction site, driving a bulldozer, taking a break, it was a beautiful day, and I was looking in the sky, laying on my back, and my co-worker, you got to love this, his name was Roscoe, and, and he was a rascal. And so his dad owned the construction company, so we had, we had the best equipment, we got to do the best jobs. But I'm laying there on this sunny day, and I look to the sky, and I see an airplane crossing, and I'd never been on an airplane, 20 years old. And I look up, and, and it was like a voice inside me says, someday you'll be on one of those, and you'll be traveling to the uttermost parts of the earth. And I'd never been on a plane. But that stuck in my heart. It was like God saying, I want you to see beyond where you are today. I want you to look beyond your hurt. I want you to see beyond your pain. I want you to think beyond what people told you you could or could not be. And I want you to trust me. Guess what? I've been all over the world from the Great Wall of China to Cape Town, South Africa. I've been everywhere preaching the gospel. And I, didn't, I wasn't even saved at the time. See, God has big plans, and we have small minds. Somehow we have to adjust those things so that our small mind can begin to see God's big plan. And if you sell yourself short, it doesn't mean you won't go to heaven. And, you know, so many people measure everything on earth by whether or not they're going to heaven. You, can only, you only need one thing to measure heaven by. Did you call upon the name of the Lord and get saved? Did you put your faith in him? The real challenge on, in this world is not us getting to heaven. The challenge is getting heaven to us. When Jesus said, pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He was in essence telling us, you need to call heaven to earth in your situation. But God blesses the willing and obedient. The Bible says they will eat the good of the land. And so we talk about being dedicated. What am I dedicated to? I'm dedicated to following the will of God. Now in this world, a lot of people would look at church and they would say, well, what can the church do for me? I'm going to go a little bit presidential, John F.K. on you. Ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Quit asking what your church can do for you and start asking, what can I do for my church? 
better already. You see, this is not a cruise ship. The church is not a cruise ship. How many of you have ever been on a cruise? Pampered. They, have, they, they make funky little critters or animals out of towels. And they put mints on your bed. And, and you don't do anything but gain 10 pounds and up your cholesterol. That's all you do on a cruise ship. Guess what? The church was never meant or built to be a cruise ship. It's a battleship. And everybody on a battleship has a role to play. They're not on that battleship to be served. They're on that battleship to serve. And there could be thousands of men and women on a battleship in some ocean halfway around the world. Let me tell you something. There isn't anybody making a, a, a swan out of a towel when they come into their room. There isn't a mint on their bed. There's a job description that says if we all don't pull our weight, we could get killed. If we all don't pull our weight, we could be in jeopardy of being hurt. Each and every one of us has to pull our weight. If we're going to get through this thing and we're going to get through it happy and we're going to get through it as victors, we have to realize that we've all got a role to play. And you know what? We haven't arrived. I mean, we have great worship. Uh, the preaching is off the charts. That was a scary risk right there. I mean, you know, children's ministry, we, we're doing our best in all these things. But you know what? We'd be better with you than we are just with us. We'd be better because of your participation, because we are a battleship, and, and we're in the fight, not just for our lives, but for the lives of a community and a world that without hearing the name of Jesus will end up not just not living on this side of heaven, but not know what heaven is. And so we have a, a mission, and we have been commissioned to carry out that mission, and we are better together than we are apart. The Bible says if one can put a thousand to flight, two can put ten thousand to flight. Iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. We have got to realize that we need each other. And so we can all do something great. So here's where we start. We are dedicated to authenticity. What this really means is this, that we're authentic in that. We realize you and I don't serve because we're qualified. We serve because Jesus came and served us. He gave his life for us so we don't serve because we're perfect or we're qualified. You know, I, I, I've, I've heard everything you can imagine in my life. And, and if anybody ever says, you know, you, you, you're, you're disqualified, I say, well, I was never qualified. Guess what? If you've never been qualified, you cannot be disqualified. If you've never been illusioned, you can never be disillusioned. That was profound. Think about it. And so what we're saying is that we don't get to do what God asks us to do because we're the best. I mean, all you have to do is go back in the Bible, and all you have to do is beginning with Moses, who walked out on God and said, I quit, and I'm not going to deliver the people uh, from Egypt. I'm done. I'm out. And then you, you look at David, who's a murderer and adulterer. You look, at, you look at all the great people of the Bible, and let me tell you something. God did not go around picking the most educated. His disciples were a bunch of morons. I'm sure they'll want to have a conversation with me when I get to heaven. 
but they were just a bunch of fishermen who were rough and and, and they they just worked hard. And Jesus, rather than going to the local Jewish seminary, seminary, goes to the beach and goes to a bunch of guys on boats and stinking like fish. And he says, follow me. All Jesus is saying is, I'm looking for those who are willing, not just those who are wise. Because I can make the willing wise, but I can't always make the wise willing. And so we begin by being dedicated to authenticity. And authenticity simply means this, that we accept the fact that nobody's perfect. The mission statement, which you will see in this church soon, says we created a culture and will continue to create a culture of love, grace, and mercy. Love, grace, and mercy. I'm not talking about a sloppy love. I'm talking about an agape love, which is the Greek for a God kind of love. And most of us operate off of a phileo or an eros type love where we uh, like somebody because they're just like us. Or we like someone in the intimate sense, which is eros in the Greek. But the agape kind of love is we love you the way God loves us. So love, the Bible says, never fails. Love never fails. And at the end, there will be faith, hope, and love. He said, but the only thing that will remain is love. Think about it. When you get to heaven, you'll no longer need faith because you'll be standing in the presence of God. You won't have to have faith in anything. You're there. You won't have to have hope anymore. But in heaven, love will still exist. And it says love covers a multitude of sin. It doesn't mean it hides it. It just means it covers the person with love. It means it covers the person with care and compassion. And that that's what we're called to do. We know that nobody comes through these doors going to be perfect. But, but we want people to serve themselves into a higher level. To become better because you've helped someone else become better. How many of you know you reap what you sow? If you sow into somebody else, God will enable and empower you to reap from that service. It's people who sit around like they're on a, a, the love boat and expect everybody to serve them that never get better. They, as a matter of fact, they get worse because they think everybody ought to be serving them. When in reality, Jesus said the last shall be first and the first we should be servants of all. He said that's what I've called you to do is be the servant of all. And so we're called to serve. Grace, the Bible says where sin abounds, grace does more abound. How many know we live in a world filled with sin and you and I are a part of it? We're no better than anybody else. We're just not. I don't care how good a Christian you are. We're not better than anybody else. We're all just people on this earth navigating, hopefully exercising love, grace, and mercy toward a world that we live in and that we're a part of. And the minute that the church can look at others and without judgment and, and we can look with love, I promise you people will come. And that's what we want to create as a culture. That when people come in, and angry people will be critical of love. Because most people think, until you deserve my love, you don't get my love. Thank God that God didn't see us that way. When we didn't deserve his love, he sent his only begotten son, and he put no conditions on it. He said he's going to die for you, he's going to offer you life more abundantly, and he's going to offer you everlasting life, and you have done nothing to deserve it. This is how we have to approach people is I love you no matter what. 
Secondly, that grace, sin abounds, grace does more abound. We're saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest any man should boast. Here we see grace in action again. None of us can say, man, I was a good Christian. I, I didn't do anything wrong. I did everything right. Let me tell you something. There are more people who gossip than people who smoke. I know we have this tobacco campaign. We need to have a gossip campaign. And now you'll go talk about me at lunch in a good way. Well, you know what pastor said today? I'm not so sure I agree with that. That's gossip. You need to go at lunch and say, ah, God, that just resonated deep within me. I love what he said. Mm -hmm. If you're going to talk about me at lunch, put barbecue sauce on me. I taste better. Problem is we're looking around at everybody else instead of looking in the mirror at ourselves. Yeah, you can do things better, but why do I care if you're doing things better? If I know I can do things better, I need to do things better, so I'm going to work on me. If you work on you and we work on us, then guess what? The world gets better. And I can tell you, serving is the way that we all get better. And then the last thing is mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And his mercies are new every morning. So if you say, what, are my, what, what culture? You can do this in your home, at your business, wherever you are. Love, grace, and mercy. Love never fails. Where sin abounds, grace does more abound. Mercy triumphs over judgment. We need to remember that and those three things. We're dedicated to acceptance. Now, please understand, when I say acceptance, I'm not saying we accept wrong, harmful, damaging behavior of others. That's not what I'm saying. I can accept a person without accepting or endorsing their behavior. In other words, I can love somebody without agreeing with that somebody. Do you see what I'm saying? Some people say, well, I can't love them because we, we're so different. You know, I'm not asking you to change to think the way somebody else thinks. I'm just asking you to love everybody whether they think the way you think or not. And you know what? There's only a few things on the in the world worth fighting over. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. There's no, no way to the Father except by me. To me, I won't even argue, but I'm immovable on that. And you know what? I'll, I'll look at you, and, and we can disagree, and we'll agree to disagree. But, but beyond that, I don't have a lot to argue about. I'll just look at you and shake my head. Because if I can demonstrate love, love opens people's hearts. How many of you know that? If you can be love, loving and patient with people, it will eventually open their heart. It doesn't mean that you turn your head when wrong is done. It doesn't mean that you're, you're not, you don't have standards. That's not it at all. It just means when you talk about those standards, you do it in a redemptive way instead of a punitive way. It means you give hope to the person that disagrees with you. It means you give compassion and care and respect to the person who disagrees with you. That you don't speak poorly of the person who disagrees with you. In Romans 15, 7, it says, Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. When we accept other people, think about it. Christ didn't accept you or me or Moses or David, who was a man after his own heart. Because they were good. He accepted them because they were created in his image and his likeness. Didn't accept them because of their behavior. He accepted them because of their person. God accepts people. We must accept people. Let me tell you what's happened in the church throughout the time that I've been alive. And you know, 30 years is a pretty long time. I didn't say I was 30. I just said 30 years is a pretty long time, and it is. You know, that's, that's like the old trick saying, uh, railroad crossing, look out for cars. Can you spell that without any R's? <laughs> you ever heard that one before? You'll be going home befuddled. 
you're spelling that, T-H-A-T. Can you spell that without, okay, anyway, let me move right along. <laughs> and so what religion did was said, if you come to our church, you have to behave the way we behave. Well, what, what, what does that look like? What does behave? Does that mean that I, uh, you know, I have to walk a certain way, say a certain I have to do everything just like you, which in other words, I'm creating human clones. You know, we high-five, we, we're a little bit unconventional in everything that we do, not, not because we have tried to create a reaction, it's because of our personality. It's authentically me. I will never be anything different than me. I am the Peter Pan of Christianity. I will never grow old, and I married Tinkerbell. She just goes around dusting me. Anyway, so... We, uh, we have to realize that religion says, behave the way we behave, talk the way we talk, do everything like we do. That's religion. In other words, it's man's attempt to impress God. And so the next step is, if, if, you, if you behave, uh, then we expect you to go through one of our classes and believe exactly what we believe. Well, the reality is that, that I believe a certain way, and I can promise you some of my staff members probably don't believe exactly the way I believe. But let me tell you what every staff member does believe. They believe Jesus Christ is Lord and he's God's only son. He gave his life for us. Now, they may have a different twist on some things that I believe. But you know what? That doesn't separate us because we talk about the things that we agree upon, not the things we disagree upon. So if you're married, this will help your marriage. Quit talking about the differences and start talking about the likenesses. That's the best marriage counseling advice you've ever gotten in your life. About to do a mic drop here. <laughs> so the third thing is, if you will behave the way we expect, if you'll believe what we believe, and you sign off on that after a class, then you can belong. Can I tell you something? This is a world that will no longer live that way, and that's not even biblical. Jesus said, I'm coming, and I'm going to let you belong. Think about it. The disciples never went to seminary. They never even went to a new member's class. They just hung out with Jesus. They watched Jesus. And so here's what we have to do. We have to first let people belong. That means we accept you where you are. If you belong, let me tell you what happens. When somebody lets you belong, you'll begin to watch them. Because that's exactly what the disciples did with Jesus. Jesus said, I want you to follow me. You belong. And they followed Jesus and they began to watch what he did. And they began to believe in what he did. And let me tell you something. After Jesus passed on, what happened? They behaved the way Jesus behaved. What did they do? Well, John surrendered himself to be boiled in hot oil. Peter said, if you're going to crucify me, crucify me upside down because I don't deserve to be crucified in the same way my Savior was crucified. These were men that because Jesus let them belong, he taught them and walked out his belief system by the time he died, rose from the dead, and ascended to the right hand of God, they said, we want to behave the way he behaved. We want to give our lives in effort to help other people with unconditional love and acceptance. So acceptance means we accept people without rejecting God's standard. We're not compromising God's standard. We accept others uh, by accepting them. It opens the door to their growth and our growth. And then lastly, we dedicate to affirming one another. 
When's the last time you went up to somebody and just affirmed them for being them as a person? You know, just appreciate you. I think you're awesome. I think you're great. When's the last time that you did something like that? When you serve, this get in the game means we're going to serve people. That means I'm going to get connected to people that I accept who might be different than me that I can affirm in the process of serving with them. This is how we connect to others is putting ourselves in a position to be around others and to serve others. That's what Jesus came to do for us. Many dissatisfied believers are dissatisfied going to church, not because they don't like church, not because they don't like worship, not because they don't like preaching. They've just done nothing to invest in it. When you take ownership of something, you value it greater. That's how come if you get something for free, you often don't value it. Even though it may have great value, it doesn't have great value to you because it costs you Nothing. And David said this when he went to the threshing floor of Aaron. He said, I will not sacrifice to the Lord that which costs me nothing. He said, I will place a value on it. So you say, well, I like Mosaic Church. I attend Mosaic Church. But let me tell you, the minute you start serving at Mosaic Church, it becomes your church. And you value it because now you're in the locker room of the church. You see the difficulty. You see the crying baby who was dropped off at the nursery by a parent who's given them no time all week or all month. A parent who's hurting that can't even help their kid because they're hurting so bad. Now you get to step in the gap and say, we're going to help this family get it well. I'm going to love this kid so much that it will come back every week. The mother will come back with it. The mother will be touched. Their lives will be changed. And their family will be given hope. You play a significant role, whether you believe it or not. You are a significant individual that plays a significant role in other people's lives by stepping forward and saying, I refuse to sit and watch life pass me by and not invest in others who Jesus himself invested his very life in them. I'm going to invest my life in them and I'm going to make a difference because whatever you sow, you will also reap. When you begin helping other people, there will be other people help you. When you love other people, there will be other people love you. When you're kind to other people, people will be kind to you. If you're miserable, you will find yourself in misery all alone. What do you want out of life because whatever you want out of life you better start putting into life you say oh this is pie in the sky let me tell you I've had to live this I'm hated every week I got a message last night so mean that I couldn't even read it out loud and I pray that the person that wrote it is watching right now because I bless you There are always people. And remember this. Hurting people don't hate you. They hate them. It's just a result. They hate themselves. It's why God said, Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. He said, unless you love you, you'll never love anybody else. And if you hate you, you will hate everybody else. And it's so it's, it's not you they hate. They hate themselves. And so you can't get mad at somebody because it's never about you anyway. We make it all about us. So here's what I want to do. I want us to realize we affirm effort, but we don't give it a trophy. Man, when I was a kid, we had like three places, first, second, and consolation. And I don't even know if they got a third place trophy. I remember going to city championship playing baseball. And, uh, 
man, we had to work. We had to grind it out. We had to even have, at the end of the year, we had to have a playoff with a team that was the hardest team, and we beat them to go to City. And guess what? Nowadays, if you go out, they give away eighth-place trophies. Are you kidding me? What are you telling a kid? You're telling a kid, we're all just the same. No, we're not. They're better than you. They beat you. We've got to stop giving away eighth-place trophies or we're never going to get better. You're telling your kids this is as good as it gets. You can be better. We believe in you. Keep fighting. We, we will praise you for your effort, but we're not giving you a trophy. We affirm your efforts. I know some of you get mad. Have you ever watched Hard Knocks on ESPN? Well, it's pretty vulgar sometimes, but I was watching Hard Knocks the other night because they, it was Hard Knocks Cleveland Browns and Baker Mayfield's with the Cleveland Browns, all you OSU fans. Get her done. Anyway, so... Anyway, so, I mean, you know, Cleveland is the place known for where all first-round picks go to die. It really is. It's like horrible. They're horrible. They're just like 0-16, and, and, and I'm watching Hard Knocks, and I'm going, how do these guys do this? Well, for the first time, I'm glad I watched it because I realized they have traded, and they've, they've gotten really a lot of good players. They've got really the, the players they need to at least go 500 instead of 0-16. But, you know, it's gonna, here's what will determine whether or not they're better. It's the people that they have playing for them are not just playing for the money. They're dedicated to getting better, to playing their role, to being on the battleship and saying, I've got a role to play here. If we're going to be really good, every one of us has to step up in our position and say, I'm going to be the very best I can be. And I don't care what happens. I'm stepping in and I'm going to play my heart out, work my heart out, serve my heart out. Or you can sit around like a lot of Monday morning quarterbacks looking at everything they did wrong and all the things they missed and, and you've never played a day in your life and yet you're a great critic. Look, man, we're not perfect, but we'd be a better church with you involved. We'd be better with you involved. You know how many parking lot attendants we ought to have? We ought to have more parking lot attendants than the average size church in America. What would happen if we had orange vests everywhere, every, everywhere out in the parking lot? People would pull in just to see what the orange vests are about. You know how surprised people are that people do something for free nowadays? And we have people out in the parking lots waving and shaking hands. And, and you say, well, I'm, I'm above that. Really? Jesus wasn't. If Jesus were on earth today, I'd be preaching. He'd be out in the parking lot. He would. You know why? Because he said, I want to be the first one to touch him. And when they get out of the car, I'll preach my own message to him. God loves you. That's my daddy. And he would be lifting them up. And by the time they got in here, I could preach a sorry message because Jesus already touched them in the parking lot. So why don't you just be like Jesus, get yourself an orange vest, and we'll put Jesus on the back of it. We affirm effort. I affirm your presence that you're here today, that you're watching online today. I affirm you. But I wouldn't be much of a leader if I said that's good enough. The Bible says that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. This thing ain't over until it's over, and it ain't over yet. And you've got to realize the only reason that you will die in mediocrity is because you choose to. The only reason you'll live a joyless life is because you choose to. The only reason that you'll live a life without peace is because you choose to. 
You have all the excuses and you've told everybody your excuses and you keep talking about your excuses instead of rising up and saying, I will no longer live under the circumstances. I am an overcomer bought with a price by the blood of Jesus Christ and I will be the best I can be and I will give my best and at the end of my life, I will crawl my filthy, dirty body across the threshold of the gates of glory and I will be, will be known. He gave it his all. He left it all on the field of earth. He left it there. I don't want to stroll through heaven without a, a drip of sweat on me. Jesus sweat as though great drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. While he was preparing to pay a price for us, he gave his best. Can we do less? We need you. On the video, it said, we need you. We need you. Let me tell you what. Not just do we need you. The person down the row from you. The person two rows up from you. The person down the aisle. They need you. There are kids in that children's ministry today that would be far better when they grow up because you were in there i'll never forget my sunday school teacher when i was a hellion my mama would drag me to church i hated church i hated you i hated everybody in church and i just didn't hate god because i thought that probably wouldn't be the right thing to do since he kind of controls it all <laughs> but i didn't care for it but there was one lady week after week named sister kilgore who every week without fail would drag her old rickety body into that little classroom of a bunch of punks and teach us the Bible. That lady will forever stand out in my mind. You know why? Because I knew how hard her husband didn't go to church. Came by herself. Dragged herself into that mildewed, moldy little church that I attended. And every Sunday she made me feel like I counted. I didn't realize it at the time. But as I got older and when I gave my life to Jesus. That lady was a part of the reason. And she's in heaven today. You could be the sister Gilgore or the brother so-and-so to one of those kids in there that says every Sunday, that man, that woman showed up. And they loved me and they encouraged me. Folks, people are not looking for great knowledge. People are longing for great love. That's what we all want. And sometimes love is tough. Sometimes it takes somebody getting in your business to make you better. And telling you what you don't want to hear so you can do what you want to do. You get to make that choice. I want to ask you right now to pick this card up. I want to ask you to fill it out. And just so you won't feel bad, any of you that say, I'm not interested, write on there whatever fake name you want and say, not doing it. Wouldn't be prudent. That way when it goes by, everybody will think you signed up. But I want to seriously, every year we do this where we say, look, we're going, to, we're going to do a push, and it is a push, to challenge you to do more than sit on your behind in church. You are a significant player in the kingdom of God. And we want to help you become the player that God wants you to become. Changing lives the way God wants us to change lives. You need to be a part of that, and I do too. And we all have a role to play. So please fill that card out, and I'm going to pray. And I'm asking God, we're going to do this lunch, and just sign up and say, I'm coming to the lunch. I'm not, I'm not sure what I want to do yet, but, or if I want to do anything, but we'll feed you anyway. We'll share a little bit more detail about what, what, we're, what we're doing, where we're headed. But let's bow our heads and close our eyes right now, if you would, please. And there are those of you today that say, you know, I'm not even a Christian, and uh, how do I get better? Well, in order to get better, you have to address bitter. And any of us who are not saved, without realizing it, maybe under the surface somewhere, there's something that has kept us from God. Maybe we haven't heard about God. Maybe we haven't heard the good news, the gospel that says, 
all who call on his name can be saved. Maybe we've heard, well, if you cut your hair, you say certain things right, and you do certain things right, then that you could be a Christian. That's wrong. That's called religion. Christianity means that we put our faith in Christ. And today, if you've not put your faith in Christ and you say, I really want to be a Christian and I want to follow him and I need prayer, I want you to pray, all of us to pray this prayer. But I want those of you that have never prayed this prayer to especially pray this prayer with me. Say, Father God, I call on the name of your only son, Jesus Christ. And today, I repent of my sin and I choose to become a follower of your only begotten son. Amen.